0: Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Quarter.
1: I'm Alex Argo.
2: And I'm Alex Robinson.
0: This is episode 85. Welcome back, gentlemen. Here we go again. Uh, as we record this, this is election eve, and that's all we're going to say. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the miracle of modern editing.
1: Yep. So what's what's new in iOS land?
2: See, we finally got our in-app purchase promo codes. I I think there was promise of that several months ago. I think before June, before WWDC, uh, there was an email that mentioned that was coming, and they're finally out now. So you can do promo codes for in-app purchases and subscriptions, uh, which is definitely... A very valuable tool especially if you want to get somebody in the media access to an app that's behind a our features behind a, a paywall
1: yeah this is one of those things that it seems so obvious that i think like all three of us at one point thought that it was already a thing <laughs> yeah yeah but turns out it wasn't and looks like now it's actually there
0: so you just have to talk like it is and then apple makes it happen is that right
1: well in that yeah. case um <laughs> this uh this new middle of the road uh mac pro that you can swap your own graphics card into is really awesome i love it
0: all right and this new uh apple home device that is just like the echo is really great
1: yeah siri works awesome on it, it doesn't have any more bugs <laughs> <laughs> anything else we want to act like exists already <laughs>
2: Definitely start talking about Mac Pros and iMacs and keyboards with touch bars that they still make. Yeah,
0: the 10K iMac (laughs) that doesn't cost 10K.
1: (laughs) Let's not get crazy here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that's pretty good though. IAP promo codes. I'm sure companies like uh, Omni Group will be happy that those are there. So also. for you conference video fans, three hundred and sixty IDEV Mini, which is a little conference that they hold, I believe in South Carolina. I should have checked that before I read it, but they it's a one day, one track conference, and those videos are now up online. We'll have a link to those in the show notes. Should be some good stuff. I I enjoyed three hundred and sixty in Denver this past summer. Uh, I'll be looking at these soon.
2: Yeah. So the 360 iDev mini is in Greenville, South Carolina.
0: Okay. Close. So also (laughs) we got the SDK for the touch bar, which we talked about a little bit last week. And now they're starting to, developers are actually putting out apps for these. So, uh, Argo, you want to talk about your Touch Bar app that you found?
1: So it's not really a Touch Bar app, but it's a, uh, from what I can tell, um, it basically lets you use the macOS Touch Bar from an iPad uh, so you can experience the uh, Touch Bar without actually having a Touch Bar and not having to click it on your screen. You have to have like a specific build or later of of macOS Sierra, um, and there's there's some instructions on how to do it. But I think I may have to get this set up, um, light my new Mac scented candle, and I'm good for another couple years.
0: <laughs> so does it actually mimic the Touch Bar API oh. and pretend to be a Touch Bar device?
1: that's what i can tell that it does like there's a there's a demo of somebody using it It like changes the display on their mac and they can like use the emoji keyboard to type they can launch like notes and stuff on their mac so it 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 seems like it's legit like it's like a touch bar on your ipad so you just got to tape that ipad right underneath your screen (laughs) (laughs) you don't need a new computer I wonder if it's too, is it too late to cancel your order, Sam?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't get rid of the, my order. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm keeping it.
1: I'm going to have to at least play around with this. To, we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes, but.
0: Yeah. Seems, I mean, I,
1: seems cool for, for us holdouts.
0: It might actually even be worth it, worth using. So you can just keep your, your MacBook closed up and off to the side like you normally do
1: well i mean i've got these old like a third gen ipad touch device yeah i don't need i don't ever use that thing it's a pain so maybe it'll be my (laughs) permanent way way more energy inefficient touch bar
0: (laughs) yeah i might give it a shot Yeah. yeah
1: So with this app, uh, I think you guys both found some interesting touch fart apps that developers have put out. So why don't oh, you yeah. tell us about
0: those? <laughs> well, you know, if it's a touch device, it has to have a fart app. So although it's on GitHub, so nobody's going to make any money from this, <laughs> it's an app called Touch Fart. That's where I'm just going to leave it. At least it's not a fireplace app. I haven't seen any of those yet. Now there's probably going to be a few of them coming out. I I did look at the link,
1: and it does have emoji support, so that's always good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about you, Alex? What would you find?
2: There is a Nyon cat for the touch bar, so (laughs) I'm not sure how useful that is, but it had to be done.
0: It's about as useful as a Fireplace app or Fart app, so... Although, got to give these guys credit for testing out the API and playing around with it. doesn't hurt, and it's great that they're sharing.
2: Yeah, and I think from most reports I've heard, the API is really easy to work with, and from what I understand, you don't necessarily have to guard against older versions or Macs that don't support the touch bar. It'll um, it, it's the touch bar features are discovered, as opposed to you, uh, you having to call some API.
0: Discovered in like a bonjour sense?
2: Yeah, more I think it traverses the responder chain to find out what the app can support. Interesting. Uh, now, there might still be something you have to do in order to... From like uh, Mac OS ten point twelve to 10.12.2, dot two, I think. So, and you know, I think there there's some difference between the different builds. So,
0: yeah, that's the that fake Touch Bar app says that you need a specific build of Sierra to get yeah. it to work.
2: Yeah, so I don't know if that'll be something you have to do for a production app once everything is released, but it's... Uh...
1: Well, I think it's because that's the only one that includes the touch bar support. I don't think it's because... Yeah. it's. I mean, it's just like the latest build that ships with uh, the new computers and it's already available if you want to download and install it on your computer. But we'll have to try it out.
0: If nothing else, it's a good learning experience. So other news? You guys got the betas on your phone? The newest betas yet?
2: I put it on my iPad Pro. I haven't uh, updated my phone yet. I was kind of hoping to check out the TV app on my iPad Pro, but uh, for whatever reason, it didn't show up.
1: Yeah, that's weird because uh, I updated my phone and an iPad Air 2 and I get the TV app on both of them. Um, it may have something to do with the fact that I have uh, done the TV provider sign-in for Sling, which which uh, our family has, but um, the, even though the TV app is on both devices um most of the stuff doesn't work like i went and tried to like there's a dialogue to link hulu to um to basically share data with with itunes and that doesn't work so i've got a feeling we're gonna have to wait until it actually releases to actually use it and i don't have much hope i don't know about you guys that it's gonna be my end all be all tv watching experience on all my apple devices although it'd be nice if it was
0: <laughs> Yeah, they gotta redefine that tv interface right because it sucks but
1: yeah I but I, I watch a lot of stuff on plex and that's not going to get support ever mm. doesn't have the the support in in the uh siri search on tv os and that api is not open so That's not going to happen, and Netflix isn't on there, so I'll be waiting a little bit longer for my perfect TV experience. I guess
2: Uh, maybe more than a little, probably a lot longer.
0: Definitely don't hold your breath.
2: I mean, right now you don't really have anybody who can get everybody on the same page, swimming in the same direction. Everybody wants to go off and do their own thing, so. Yeah, I just I don't think we're gonna see a perfect solution anytime soon.
1: Okay. Let's talk about migrating stuff to Swift three. Doesn't that sound fun?
0: One good segue. So one of the things that was new in the Xcode eight point two beta is that that will be the last release to support two dot three Swift two dot three that is. Now they did mention when they announced Swift 3 that 2.3 was there as a nice bridge. And really the only main difference between that and Swift 2.2 was that this one was targeting the newer SDK. And there was a like one little thing with some Objective C compatibility that they had changed between two two and two three. So really they were interchangeable. And now we're definitely approaching the end of life for swift 2 3 or swift 2.x
1: yeah we're really feeling the the pain on the not having binary compatibility yet because all these libraries uh, you know when 3.0.1 comes out if you if you're using a compiled uh, swift library you need a new version for every single minor version bump. So yeah, it'll be it'll be nice when we're we're past this and you can have SWIFT three code that works on actually SWIFT four code that works on SWIFT five, I should say.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you usually have to reference a specific tag or or branch uh to make sure you don't accidentally get upgraded too soon. Oh yeah. You don't always want to be pointing at head.
0: I think one of the things people make one of the mistakes that people make with CocoaPods a lot is that, especially with Swift, is that they don't specify their uh, squiggly arrow uh, version number out to enough uh, decimal places. Say if you have 0.1 with the squiggly arrow, that'll allow you to go up to, say, 0.99 or more. And the the library authors have been changing between uh Swift versions on those point releases, which not necessarily a great idea because it's more of a it's a breaking change. And so we've run into that at work occasionally. And so I've just had to go in there and add that extra zero in there so that it'll do say zero point one point one all the way up to some number that's not 0.2. That's one of those little gotchas when you're working with Cocoa pods.
1: The nice thing though, about Cocoa pods is that you don't have as much of an issue if there's not a source change that breaks things between versions. So uh, if you're, if you just including it as a sub module or whatever um, and 3.0.1 comes out, you're fine because it, just compiles the source and doesn't matter which version it is right. uh, versus the binary. So that's, that's one of the benefits to, to go in Cocoa pods route.
0: Yeah, it's definitely good. You just have to sometimes be a little bit more specific in what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's like always gotchas.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I think I also noticed with the uh, Cocoa Ponds, uh, if you do a pod update, it no longer updates your local cache of uh, pod specs. Right. So you have to manually update that as well. Which, the reason
0: I heard behind that is that CocoaPods is such a popular project that GitHub was having to dedicate several racks several racks of servers to just supporting Cocoa because it would always do a, the pod repo update built in with the pod install command. Yeah. And you, know, you get enough servers, or enough CI servers and enough developers around the world doing pod install, and that's really going to hit their servers hard. So they GitHub asked Cocoa Pods developers to make this kind of change i don't know if they specifically said stop doing this make this more of a manual thing but that's the solution that the cocoapods developers came up with
1: i didn't know that's what they ended up doing i remember when when it first started uh bringing their repository down making it unavailable uh was this big long thread where the github people and the cocoapods people were going back and forth it was really interesting to follow i'll see if i can find the issue and maybe put a link to it but uh, yeah they went back and forth uh, on how to how to make this work so that it's kind of sustainable but that makes sense why you have to do that now I guess
0: yeah Yeah. other, other systems rely on other types of third parties like Ruby has rubygems.org and that's a basically a community sponsored project uh, they get sponsors from commercial companies but it's not in github in github's uh, domain uh, i don't know what npm does like for their registry
2: i'm not sure uh, maven and the java community has its repositories and you can pick which repository you want to point to, or you can have a, your own uh, in-house repository.
1: Well, and I think if you're not using Git for your your repository, uh, things can run a lot smoother, because uh, Git was just not made for the constant updates that happened to that repository, and then trying to pull the latest changes, it's just not as super efficient in Git. Yeah. Seems like his issue.
0: If you have to do a pod repo update, it takes a, a while. And it's still doing a fast forward. So I think they're starting to outgrow that infrastructure. Not really starting. They have. <laughs> they're going to need something at some point. Maybe that's a a little feather in the Carthage cap. since so They're distributed.
1: We just need Swift package manager to to become mm. legit and then we don't need to worry about it. They just need to last that long.
0: Yeah. Hold on guys.
2: So, uh, you know, beyond just the dependencies aspect of migrating to Swift three now, if anybody's tried to do that going from even two, three to, to three, it's a non-trivial migration, especially for a project of any size. Have you guys done any attempts at migrating?
0: Wait, I thought you just opened up the migrator and tell it to go ahead, and everything's fine, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, I've actually migrated two Swift apps to Swift three. It's pretty pretty crazy. One of them actually just worked, um, but that's because the only code was like the default app delegate stuff. <laughs> that's just like an internal tool that we have at a at my company, but. I, I even I ran into issues on our small app that Sam and I worked on um, for GiveCamp uh, the last two years.
0: Well, you probably had a library issue as well. But even syntax wise, you had a, an issue.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of syntax stuff that weren't library related, um, a bunch of UI kit things that it couldn't figure out by itself. Hmm. Granted, this was on 8.1, not 8.2, so maybe the converter's gotten better in 8.2. I don't know. Then we had some, also some issues with like our test targets that really confused it. So.
0: <laughs> you just deleted those. So yeah, no big <laughs> yeah yet, that's right?
1: that's a great great solution. <laughs> no, this test target has an error. Deleted. All right, it's better now.
0: Yeah. So yeah there are some odd little changes to the syntax that definitely the migrator won't just fix for you. Alex, what's some of the ones that you've run into? What are some of the ones you've run into? Uh,
2: Some of the the big changes that may not be terribly obvious if you haven't kept up with uh, what's going on. And there's quite a bit that has changed. So it's hard to really keep track of everything. Uh, One is, uh, the multiple unwrapping conditionals. So you used to, um, have the option to leave off the, the let on, uh, if you were binding multiple optionals in an if statement. Uh, now I believe you are required to use the let, uh, for each one. And that kind of goes hand in hand with, uh, the where clause syntax has changed. So you used to be able to do a where condition at the end of an if led or a guard or a few other things. Um, But now you drop the where where and just use a comma. And part of the argument is it treats it more like a first-class condition. Um, But it can be a little confusing how to migrate that. If uh, if you run into that, if you use your where clause in lots of places, and it is kind of a handy feature, it's not hard to change, it's just not necessarily intuitive if you don't know what needs to be done.
0: Well, and when you're used to seeing that where at the end of your card, yeah, and you, yeah, you're I, like, well, where'd it go?
2: Yeah, and personally, I like the where syntax because it kind of called it out.
0: Right. Sets it apart. Yeah. Nice. Or
2: now it's not as visually obvious to me, but I guess I'll get used to it. Then, uh, another. We'll it
0: for four. Don't worry.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, our big standardization on first, uh, parameter labels, um, being required by default has caused a lot of method signatures, especially on like delegate methods, uh, to now have this kind of weird-looking syntax where it's got the underscore at the beginning, um, basically meaning that the the label is optional, so you can kind of override that default behavior. But like things like the app delegate um, methods or um, you know and table delegate methods now all have these underscores in it and. You know, if it's something you weren't expecting, it can be a little odd. I had some developers ask me about it the other day that, you know, they had done some Swift and then went away for a while and came back and saw the Swift 3 syntax and didn't really understand what the underscore was.
0: Yeah, I think you're supposed to really pull something out of your method's name into that underscore so that you, know, you have something like point at. And then the at might've been part of the method name before, but then it should be part of the, the, uh, it should be where the underscore is now.
2: Yeah. They've got pretty good documentation on how you should name your functions. And I think I even saw a utility shared in, uh, Natasha, the robots newsletter about a utility that will try and, uh, recommend cleaner function names. Hmm. I'm not sure how well it works, but interesting. But I think, like the fact that some of these message signatures have changed, has caused some problems for some developers. I haven't run into this myself yet, uh, but this is what probably scares me the most. Is I'm hearing from a few developers that there are delegate methods and such uh, that worked fine in Swift two, three, and below that no longer get called in in Swift three, and because some minor difference in the method signature, I think. Uh, So, to me, that's Mm -hmm. probably the scariest thing about that Swift 3 migration. If you have a large code base, uh, you now have to make sure you have very thorough testing. I don't know how common that is. I've been been kind of looking to see if there's like a common scenario um, or something the migrator does that just kind of screws things up, but... Mostly it seems like people who've who've got extensions uh, for some delegate methods and and the signature just isn't matching up um, because of the way they migrated.
0: Are they doing something like a response to selector, testing that and then calling the delegate method because it's an optional delegate?
2: I don't think it's that. I, I have heard that some optional protocol methods are not getting migrated properly. Or getting skipped in the migration. Uh, so that's kind of another uh, caveat.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing that got me, and I just, it still leaves me scratching my head, but if you have a parameter or a, method, a variable that's declared with a uh, exclamation point at the end, so it's basically a unwrapped optional, so, you have a view in your view controller, and that property it has the exclamation point at the end. And if you take a, if you assign another variable to that one with just say the, the let foo equals self.y or something like that, that foo variable isn't an unwrapped optional, but it's an optional type. Of that view of that variables type so then you have to do an if let on that thing hmm. yeah that I was using that in Rx Swift to kind of get around having to uh, do the weak self dance or put in self in my uh, closure parameters and that messed me up so, it doesn't make any sense I sh- if I If I'm using the type inference, it shouldn't infer me to a new type. But it did, so. Fire beware. I think if you put another exclamation point on the unwrapped one, then it becomes an unwrapped again. Another little gotcha.
2: Yeah. Another thing that changed is uh, closures are non-escaping by default now. Um, before they used to be escaping, uh, so so what does that mean? <laughs> Try and think the best way to explain this.
0: <laughs> uh, basically, I'll, I'll answer my own stupid question. <laughs> but you basically only have to worry about it if when you're passing this closure into something, if it's going to hold on to that closure. So before I believe that. Non-escaping was the default.
2: Other way around,
0: escaping was the default. So you would
2: you would specify non-escaping. You know, give you some optimization that basically said that the variables that were captured going into this closure, um,
0: they're always going to be there. They're They're going to be there. It's going
2: to the the closure is going to going to complete before they would get that container function would get. Uh, reclaimed, the variables will get reclaimed, so it can yeah. optimize it a little bit. So now that's the default behavior. Uh, so if you have some sort of closure that does some sort of asynchronous function, and you're passing in variables that that would normally get reclaimed uh, before that cl- closure uh, completed, uh, you now have to, you know, mark it as escaping.
0: And things like it basically optimizes. the the standard use case like map or uh, I think even for or the filter function you know all those things where you pass in a a closure it's used real quickly and discarded that's fine but if that closure is going to have a, a lifetime that lasts outside of that calling method so maybe you're setting it on as a property on an object then you need to have the escaping. Uh, Is it at escaping or at escape? Yeah, I think it's
2: at escaping, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it's maybe not the most intuitive word or keyword to use, but I'm not really sure what would be, because it's it's a concept that is uh, maybe something that, like something like arc should just take care of for you. The compiler should be able to see that this thing is going to be around for a while and it should be able to figure out maybe 99.9% of the time, whether it's an escaping or non escaping closure.
2: Yeah. And basically this is to <laughs> this is giving a hint to the compiler to say, OK, you can optimize this or or you can't. And it used to right. be by default, it assumed you you were going to need those variables beyond the scope of the calling function, but now it's going to assume the...
0: It was the, assuming the best, or the worst, and now yeah, it allows, allows the compiler to assume the best.
2: And I'm not really sure what makes, you know, I'm not sure why they flip-flopped it. I, I'm sure if you dig into the, the change request and they've got a lengthy discussion of why um you know i feel like more often than not i'm writing these asynchronous calls that you know are doing some sort of network activity uh with closures but at the same time i do quite a bit with you know functional constructs like map and flat map and for each and
0: yeah, and it such. seems to me if you're a standard library writer or some kind of library writer, this is probably a great change for you. As an application developer who's probably dealing mostly in async tasks, it's not such a great thing. In this in this situation somebody's gonna have to do a little extra work.
1: It seems weird they they're optimizing for the the, the wrong use case. I guess, in my opinion, because part of the goal of Swift was to be the language that everybody could use or or whatever, and it certainly has a lot of uh, thorns and tricky things about it, and it would bug me if like something just stopped working, because I updated the OS, but it compiled just fine. There, this is yeah. like the second instance yeah. we've talked about where the, the functionality changes, which seems really scary, but I
2: guess you might get that a compiler. Very important. <laughs> you might get a compiler warning, but you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily count on it.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things where the Im- implementation is escaping up into the language design, and it's a it's a wart. I mean, imagine trying to teach somebody who's learning Swift using the Swift Playgrounds app and this is their first programming language and they need to call (laughs) this closure or pass it in this closure to this uh, init method like, oh you have to put this escaping word in here Uh, what's that mean? (laughs) even we have a hard time describing it
2: yeah I'm trying to think if there's any case where the the at sign attributions are are not a code smell. Uh, yeah, like you not know really the at c or at dynamic or
1: a language yeah. smell. <laughs> Is yeah. that what you're thinking?
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's not really any fault of the developer who's working on the code itself, the the app or, or whatever the end user you know, the developer being the end user in this case, this is really language designer design smells. Let's go with that. I, yeah, it's I like language smell. <laughs> okay. I
2: mean, I, I liked it the other way that you could basically it, it's in the worst case and you know, if you knew what you were doing, you could provide some additional information to say, okay, you cannot trust me. You can optimize this. Uh, the other way around is a little bit weird. Um, another big change is, in Swift 3 is a lot of these um, NS objects have, or classes have dropped the NS prefix and in some cases have wrappers like, like date and uh, uh, a, a few things with core graphics. Uh, string. String. There's just.
0: String has always had its own.
2: Parallel implementation. Yeah.
0: But, uh, um, but now you have to cast a string as an NS string if your method is expecting an NS string. It's not exactly toll free bridged. You have to be a little bit more explicit about
2: it. There's, I think, uh, index path and NS index path, you can run into some funkiness with that too. Uh, for the most part, this, the migrator seems to do a pretty good job of this. Uh, I did run into a couple of cases where I had some issues, uh, in one case, um, I had a class in my app, um, model object that happened to have the same name as one of the new model objects or new, uh, foundation classes without the prefix, oh. uh, so I ran into a bit of a conflict there, but that was easy enough to fix. You
0: know what's gotten me going back to the NSIndexPath. path. Sometimes I'll write a variable later called with the NS index path as my type. And then I'll try to pass it into a method that takes the index index path. And Swift doesn't like that. <laughs> you would think that it would just take it, but no, it complains. It says these aren't compatible. Then I See that I put the NS in there, and I go and delete it, and everything's fine. There's just some funny little gotchas that way. Yeah. But some a lot of them are a little bit more uh, concise. Things like when you say ui dot color, now it's ui dot red, and it's a property, so that works nice. Looks looks better
2: yeah yeah there's in in a lot of ways it's been improved and and i think they did a really nice job of wrapping kind of these core foundation objects with swift to to make them accessible but without kind of forcing you to always use the new stuff so you can still do it the old way if you want to uh, the migrator definitely will try and migrate you to the new wrapper objects if, if it can, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we talked about classes are now closed by default. So you, if you want to have something subclassable, you have to specify that it's open and.
1: although Doesn't the migrator make everything file private?
0: It does change private to file private. Maybe yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Which I don't quite understand the difference between private and file private. I know it has something to do with extensions.
2: Oh yeah, so you could, you know, you don't necessarily have to have just one class or one structure inside of a file. So you could potentially make make it file private, so it's visible to everything in that file. Okay. So you know, it's, I don't know how often you do that, but I'll. I'll do that periodically, like I'll group things that especially like protocols and uh, uh dependent classes that may not be relevant outside the context of of uh, another class, so I'll just define it inside the same physical file. I usually put
0: uh, not necessarily in the same physical file but I'll put. Uh, like JSON parsing extensions in my project in a separate file, but they just extend a model class, for instance, and I add a init method that will take a JSON object.
1: It's kind of like the package private in Java. Yeah. Except for it's all about just being in one file. It's it's a weird access modifier for sure, though.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. The one... I know we talked about this on the show when they were mulling it over, but the whole open and public debate, I kind of really do wish that went the other way. Instead of everything being closed by default, let it be open by default. It's just another one of those things that they changed up. We'll live
2: with it. Yeah, and totally change it back. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's a that's a thing i don't know if i'm as excited about swift 3 as i was about swift 2
2: i think swift 3 is like this necessity (laughs) like you know you're not necessarily getting anything terribly new out of it i mean there are some nice things like um like grand central dispatch is a lot easier to work with but it's it's kind of like this necessary step to move forward. Uh, But I don't don't think there was a whole lot to motivate people to, to really take that plunge, like, especially in a large code base. I mean, I've been holding off on one of my bigger apps because it's going to take several days and lots of testing. And I'm not really looking forward to, to, going through that especially when I need to be delivering new features at the same time
0: yeah but every day that you write more Swift 3 code it's more you're adding to that pain
2: yeah I I think if you
1: had binary compatibility you would feel better about Swift 3 probably
2: yeah yeah I think that like there's a lot of things like you know I, I could just put off into a separate module and and not worry too much about and and it would let you, to some degree, migrate piece by piece. Uh, where you know it's an all or nothing. You can't just incrementally migrate over. You got to do the whole project and all of its dependencies at the same time. So, you know, you're you're running a decent amount of risk of introducing a regression because of the migration. Yeah. Either of your own code or or third party code. Right. Um, Generally, I to... you
0: only want to change one thing at one time. So you can figure out if something goes wrong, this is what it is. But if you have to migrate all this code and then change all your libraries, you're gonna, something's going to happen and you're not going to know where to point the finger at.
2: Yeah. And kind of to wrap all this up, you know, you, until now you had the option to hold off and just do Swift two three and and you're fine, you you can go about your business. But after Xcode eight two, we're not going to be able to do that anymore. You know, I don't know how quickly that's X Xcode eight three or Xcode nine is going to come along and, and force us down that path. But it's coming, yeah. And I think it'll be sooner than later.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna bet. That it's gonna come around February, because we're getting into the holidays. Things are gonna slow down a little bit, and then Apple's going to start ramping up again for their spring event and whatever they're gonna do with the iPad and those devices. So then it'll we'll start to see it maybe late January, early February, and then it'll go gold in. Say March or so when they have their spring event. Yeah, maybe could be off. It could be off by a point release. That might be point four.
2: Yeah, and I was kind of expecting a new Xcode with updates to TVOS, but um, looks like that's just going to be part of eight point two.
0: Yeah, they did add the single sign on to the the newest beta for TVOS. I don't know if they've promised a whole lot of other features in tvOS besides the TV app.
2: Yeah, that was pretty much the main thing they they talked about. But uh, kind of jumping back here, we can include some links to a few different resources to talk about uh, things to watch out for when migrating. Um, but it's definitely something to start planning for or, or start working towards sooner than later.
0: Apple's definitely put us on notice Yep. and and they're not good about maintaining legacy support for very long. So now's the time to get started. You're probably in this lull in your product cycle because you've got the holidays coming up and people taking vacations and you'll have the app store freeze. So it's a good time. Yeah.
2: And I just finally got to Xcode 8.2 and Mac OS Sierra I'm on my machines, so. This is the next step. I've migrated a few projects already, but the big one is the one that I've been. I've I've started to migrate a few times and during the betas, and I kind of put it on hold because uh, it was quite a bit of work.
0: And if you've got a client screaming for yeah you know, things that actually provide business value, this yeah. is not high on that list.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: But it is the cost of doing business.
1: So I think that's all the time we have left this week. Why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet?
2: You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter.
0: You can find me at Sam Corder on Twitter.
1: Uh, you can find me at Alex Argo. And the podcast is at Shared Inst. Uh, come join us uh, in our Slack at chat.sharedinstance.com.
0: I just want to add one thing. We did come off as kind of negative, but Swift 3, it's... Still more pleasant to program in than Objective-C. So we'll leave it at that. I I still like the language, but maybe not as much as I did before. Done.
1: All right, later. (laughs) Later.